are, we're, we're thankful to have several first-time guests with us this morning. And here at Revolution Church, we like to study the Bible the way God has written it, a book at a time. And so right now, we are at, in the Gospel of Luke, and we are discovering the real Jesus. And so if you want to follow along on the screen, uh, we're going to read God's Word here in a second. There we go. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm doing it backwards. That's why it's not working. All right. Good morning, Amy. How are you? Good. All right. Amy's going to read God's word for us. Y'all follow along as she does. Luke 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful that we are not left to grope in the dark in this world, but that we have your word as a light to our, our feet and the lamp into our path. We are so thankful that the, for the wisdom that it brings. Father, I'm thankful for a church that loves your word, loves to study your word, and Lord, give us the grace to actually live your word and uh, help us open our eyes this morning, open our hearts, open our minds, help us to set aside all preconceived ideas, help our hearts to be soft so that we can see where we need to change and become more like your beautiful son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, all God's people said, amen. So recently, uh, I didn't think this would happen because usually this happens with toddlers. How many of you ever lost a kid? Yeah, go ahead and admit it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, we have nine kids, so we've lost a few here and there. <laughs> um, but recently we were at a basketball tournament up in Atascacita, and there's four gyms all together, and Caitlin's game is about to start over here, and she's not there. And I'm like, why is she not here? I mean, they're, they're all connected, so there's not a lot. We let them go with their friends and watch. And so I'm looking for her, and I'm thinking, where is she at? And Tammy's like, I can't find her either. We went upstairs. We looked all over the place, went downstairs. I walked around every court looking, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, did somebody kidnap my daughter? I mean, it'd be okay if they took Isaiah, but not Caitlin, please. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, just making sure you're awake right there. Um, but, you know, all those crazy minds... All those thoughts, crazy thoughts go through your mind, and you're like, oh my gosh, and you're thinking, did I, did, and I'll walk out in the parking lot, I'm looking around, and finally I go back in, and there she is, like, Phew. and she had just been told to go to the wrong court, and I think she had a jacket on or something, so I'm looking for a uniform, but she's got something else on, so I'm not finding her, and this is the stress that Mary and Joseph experience, okay, um, and like I said, this only lasted for a few moments, probably about eight minutes, I guess. Uh, but it lasted for days with Mary and Joseph. They thought they had lost their son. So we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, and let's take it apart in three simple points. This might be one of my shortest sermons of the year. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> uh, first of all, they're searching for the missing Jesus, and then you'll see that they're finding the amazing Jesus, and then we'll close with observing the childhood of Jesus. So in verse 41, Now his parents went to Jerusalem. From where they came from, Nazareth, to, Jews, to Jerusalem is 70 miles. That, how, that would be about an hour and 15 minutes by car. An hour for those of you who break the speed limit, like me. Um, just confessing my faults, one to another, right? Um, and they didn't have cars. They didn't have buses, planes, trains, or automobiles. They, they were doing this on foot. 
and maybe if they had some money, they had uh, donkeys or whatever. But this is a long journey, and they did this every year. And that, that showed that they were loyal, observant Jews. Most Jews would go to Jerusalem three times a year, make three pilgrimages. Um, there was the, the Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. If you were poor, you could kind of get exempt from the other two, but Passover you had to make. Whatever you had to do, beg, steal, borrow, whatever, to get some money to go, you, you made sure you made it there. And it's in, this is so important. The context is everything, right? What, what event are they going to? The Passover. Okay, the Passover, that's super important. That is still, to this day, the biggest holiday that Jews celebrate. This is celebrating the Exodus, where they were slaves in Egypt, and they were oppressed, and they were treated very cruelly and brutally. And Moses was the deliverer who led them out after 10 sequential plagues that finally brought Pharaoh to his knees to where he would say, okay, you can go. And even then he changed his mind, and he went after them. And there they were with the sea in front of them, a mountain on either side, and an Egyptian army and chariots coming behind them. And they're literally boxed in, and they're like, you know, God, are you going to let us die? You just let us free just so we can just die. And Moses says, y'all shut up. Watch the rod. Boom, waters part. They walk through. Another amazing miracle. And then after they go on the other side on dry ground, the Egyptians are like, okay, well, we can do this too. And they go down in. What happens then? Waters collapse. And you know, uh, skeptics of the Bible said, oh, what a crazy story. That never happened. And now archaeologists, not to say now, it's happened in 1968, found, have found Egyptian chariot wheels at the bottom of the Red Sea, okay? And they've sent robots down there, they've arc, they've, they, and they know they're um, Egyptian chariot wheels because they had a different number of spokes than any other empire. So, I mean, once again, the Bible is always true. But, so then, bef the night before they got out, uh, they sacrificed a lamb. That was the 10th plague. And who did it kill? The firstborn in every household, Egyptian or Jew, Okay, so they sacrificed the lamb to die in the place of the firstborn. They put the blood on the door. And then when God passed through, he, when he saw the blood, he passed over them. Thus the name of the holiday. And so that feast, this holiday became super important to them because it was a picture of their salvation from slavery. But it was not only a picture of salvation from Egyptian slavery. It was a picture of the salvation that was to come uh, from the ultimate slavery, slavery to sin. The bondage of sin. And of course, Jesus would be that Passover lamb. So this is the holiday where all this is happening, where Jesus is lost. Okay, so keep that in the back of your mind throughout this. And so he's 12 years old. We, you know, Luke is kind of moving quickly through this. This is the only gospel that mentions anything about Jesus' childhood. And anything else you probably read about Jesus' childhood is probably spurious. <laughs> I wouldn't pay much attention to it. And you have to stop and think. Why is so much of Jesus' life left out? Why is the focus of Jesus' life basically about the last few weeks of his life? Because that's what matters. And that's where the focus is. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to give his life a ransom for many. So you see the majority of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that the heavy, that lion's share of that focused on his mission to preach to teach about the kingdom, and then to be the living sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Had the Bible spent chapters and chapters and books and books on, here's what Jesus did when he was 17, here's what he did when he was 24, here's what he did when he was 28, we would spend more time on that and not focus on what was most important. So that's why you'll see a little bit here and there. Some people say some crazy things like, well, Jesus, after he was his bar mitzvah at 13, he went into the east and he spent time with Buddha and he learned all those things over there in Eastern customs and now he's the ultimate New Age prophet. Ah, baloney. I mean, it's just, that's not, that doesn't even make a good sandwich. That's such bad baloney. It's not even any good at all. There's nothing to prove that whatsoever. Jesus stayed where he was at. The reason the Bible doesn't tell us that because that's not the main thing. And we don't want our Bibles to be this thick either, okay? So otherwise, that's why... John says, if we had included everything that Jesus ever did, the books of this world could not contain all that could be written. So we get, God knows what he gave us. So it's interesting, at age 12, this is usually when a son, especially a firstborn son, would choose whatever career. 
he was going to be. Now, the overwhelming majority, uh, can you imagine 12-year-olds making that choice today? Man, we can't even get 32-year-olds to make that with their mind what they want to do today. They're still playing video games in their mom's basement. I mean, here's a 12-year-old choosing what he's going to do. Now, the majority of boys at this age would choose their dad's career path. And it looks like that's what Jesus did, okay, in a way. Um, some would choose to do something different. You know, hey, Dad, I like what you do, but Uncle so-and-so does cattle, and I really like that, so I think I'm going to do that. And usually that, at that age, they would go away for a year or at least go away for the day all day and spend time learning that trade. So that's also important because where is Jesus when they find him? In his father's house. He's chosen his career. You see that what's going on there? It's to serve in his father's house. Now, he's still going to do the stone, mason, stone mason, masonry and carpentry. They were kind of combined. And he's going to do that. We always say Jesus is a carpenter. We think of wood. But there wasn't very much wood in, in uh, that part of the country. So there were a few people that worked with wood. Most people worked with stone and wood. And at 13 is when you'd have your bar mitzvah. Bar means son, and mitzvah means covenant, a son of the covenant. This is when you were, became officially a man of God, a, a Jew who was under the covenant of God, and they'd have a, a big party. Jews still do this today. And this is where the, the father would take the son and lift up on his shoulders and dance around with him, and he would say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's what was said about Jesus at his baptism and then also later at his ascension. So this is what's going on here in the life of Jesus at this time. It's a big year in his life. And so when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind. Now I looked at this and I, <clears throat> I was trying to study the language to say, okay, was he left behind? yes. But this word stayed means he chose. Now, they came there to the temple to be part of the Passover, to, to sacrifice the lamb and all that stuff. So at one time, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, all the relatives are all there in the temple and they're doing the observance of Passover. And then they leave. And maybe they thought Jesus was with you know, the other relatives because he's at an age where he can hang out with the men or he can hang out with the kids, the little kids hung out with mom and so it's he's kind of in between stage where it's pretty logical for mary to think he's with joseph and joseph think he's with mary or either one think he's just hanging out with the other preteens. but jesus stayed behind now was he left and he chose to stay there i don't know did jesus sin here no he definitely did not we know jesus committed no sin but i think it makes us scratch our head and say why would he do this and of course that's going to be the core of this whole message is why, why did he do this? We'll get to that here in a minute. But his parents didn't know it. Again, they're not, they're not being totally negligent. Today, we have to be helicopter parents hovering over our kids constantly because we live in a culture where people steal kids. It's sick. Back then, nobody wanted to steal a kid. Well, I have to feed this thing? I have to bathe this thing? Why would I want to steal somebody else's kid? You know, it rarely happened. But today, it's, we have to be almost paranoid as parents. Um, but supposing him to be in the group they went a day's journey. Now, the group is the caravan. They traveled together anywhere from 80 to 200 people, depending on how big their clan was. And so usually the women went on ahead. The men brought up the rear. The kids could be floating back and forth in between the middle, playing games, running around. They just figured he's there somewhere in between. But they went a day's journey, and Mary's like, hey, Joseph, do you know if, if Jesus is eating? I haven't seen him. I thought he was with you. What? Well, let's go find them. They start asking around, say, hey, have you seen Jesus? The, the caravan's kind of stopping. Maybe they're uh, getting water, maybe whatever. And so they're trying to check around. And when they began to search from among the relatives and acquaintances, they realize he's not there. And they've gone a whole day away. By now, Mary thinks she's like candidate for the worst mother of the year. She's probably thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? How can I, this happen to me? And again, for me, it was just eight minutes of anxiety. Here it's 24 hours that's going to grow into more. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So a day's journey away, it takes a day to get back. This is 48 hours with a missing 12-year-old. Okay, so fear is, is creeping in. And I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but when you feel like you don't know where Jesus is and what's going on in your life, go back to where you last had him. Okay, that's not a bad thing to do. Go back to church. A lot of times people drift from God. They drift away from church. They drift away from the word. Go back to church. Go back to spending time on your knees. 
Go back to opening the word, reading the scriptures, and maybe you'll find Jesus where you had left them. Um, there's an old story of an elderly couple driving down the road in the car, and they come up behind a young couple at a stoplight before cars used to have all this stuff in the middle. You know, you used to have a bench seat, and you can kind of snuggle up next to somebody. And this couple's all snuggled up, and, and he's driving, and, and she's all over him. And the, white, the older couple in the car behind, the wife says, Remember when we used to be like that? Why can't we be like that anymore? And he's looking at her going, well, who moved? You know, and that's the way it is with God. We're like, I just don't feel as close to God as I used to be. Well, who moved? He's still there. You still have access to his church. You still have access to the word of God. You still have access to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So many times we have to do what John told the church at Revelation. Go back and do the first works. Go back when you, when you used to be excited about loving Jesus, when you used to be excited about serving Jesus, when you were like, could not wait for Sunday morning to happen, you could not wait to be around Christians. Go back and do those same things is what John told the church in Revelation. So let's move to the second point, finding the amazing Jesus. Let's see, right there. Um, so, and then it says after three days. Now, one teacher I was studying said, this is after three days more. So day's journey, day's back, three more days, which would be now five. I don't know if I, if I agree with that presupposition. I think this means after a total of three days, and there's a reason why, because we've learned from Genesis and from everywhere in the Bible that three days is very significant. How many days was Jonah in, in the belly of the whale? Three days, right? And there's many, many other stories. So I think that would be more consistent. Um, it says they found him. Man, can you imagine this, the sigh of relief? They found him in the temple. And of course, he, why is he there? Because they just they left him there because that's where they were celebrating the Passover. And he's sitting among, and the word there literally means, your King James Bible says, in the midst, which means picture in the middle of a circle. He's surrounded by teachers, okay? And the, the, these teachers, some translations say doctors, doctors of the law, not medical doctors, but doctors. He's surrounded by PhDs. These aren't low-level teachers. These are PhDs. These are people who really know their stuff. And he's listening to them and asking them questions. So look at those two words, because that's key. Because we live in a culture where we're not very good at listening anymore. Um, Nobel Prize-winning physicist uh, Isidore Isaac Rabi, his mother used to greet him after school by asking him, did you ask any good questions today, Isaac? That's a really good thing. It's like we always are concerned with what we say, but the more important thing is what we ask. And it says, and all who heard him were amazed. Now, Jesus is not preaching here. He's not teaching. He's not making statements. But the, the intrigue is with these clever, deep questions that he's asking. And he's, he's doing it in a very Socratic way, if you could use that word. And, and you know, I want to challenge you. I, I, I think that you would be amazed with Jesus, too, if you would read the word of God. I hear people all the time say, oh, Jesus, you know, he's just a myth. He's just this, or he's just oppressive, or he's whatever. All, the, all our culture now is turning against Jesus. And I'm like, have you read the Bible? Well, I've read parts. I'm like, I would challenge you, for the next 14 days, read the Gospel of Luke. Or, or the Gospel of John. Just read any of them. You could go through the Gospel of Luke two chapters a day in two weeks. And just take your time and read it. And, and see for yourself if you don't find Jesus amazing that you would circle around him just like these PhDs did. And go, wow, this kid's only 12? And these questions he's asking and his follow-up questions are just utterly amazing. And all who heard him were amazed. And what were they amazed at? His understanding and his answers. The word answers here means responses. Because Jesus is doing what he usually do, does is he answers a question what? With a question. How many times did, did people do that? Lawyers trying to trap him. Okay, Jesus, let's ask you a question. Which is the most important uh, uh, commandments in the law? Well, let me ask you a question. John's baptism, was it of heaven or of men? And he did that all the time because he didn't want to let them trap them, but also he wanted to keep them thinking. I want you to watch the parallelism here. Hebrews do this all the time. They say A, B, A, B, and then they go down below and they'll tell you what A, B, A, B means. Like, for example, uh, it says, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions, and then verse 47 says, amazes his understanding and his answers. Listening, asking, understanding, responses, if you will. So the listening is what led to understanding. The 
questions or the responses is what showed how the right, the, right, the right answers, the right responses. You see, when we listen, we learn more. When we ask questions, we get the right answers. Um, Harvard Business Review wrote this article a while back. It said, it can be stated with practically no qualification that people in general do not know how to listen. They have ears to hear very well, but seldom have they acquired the necessary oral skills which would allow those ears to be used effectively for what is called listening. It kind of reminds me of the Lego movie. Uh, I, I heard every word you say, but just to be careful, would you say it all over again? <laughs> you know, it's just, we do that, we hear words, and then sometimes our, outside our mind, it's like blah, 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 science, 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 you know, whatever. We're just kind of not really paying close attention. And the reason is, is because we're focused on what? What we're going to say next. It's like, we're looking for the lips to stop moving. So, yeah, but I think that blah, blah, You know, it's like, just stop, slow down, take a deep breath, hear what the person has to say and think about it. Say, hmm. And one of the best things you can do after someone has completed a statement, men pay attention because your wives will love this, is repeat it back to them. Say, okay, so what you're telling me is when this and this happened, that hurts your feelings. Yeah, that shows you're listening. It's what we call active listening. So why, why are we such poor listeners? Uh, Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom. You see, we think we already know. <laughs> we, we think we're the ones who has information. You should be listening to me. And I don't care who you're talking to, even if someone you totally disagree with, there is something in every conversation to be learned. Even if it's what not to do or what not to say. I think we, we are poor listeners because of our pride, uh, because we're self-centered. We want to talk about ourselves, me, myself, and I. And we go on and on. And we do horrible things like one-upmanship. Oh, yeah? Well, listen to my story. You know, someone said, so I, went to, I drove all the way to California. Oh, yeah? Well, I drove all the way to Japan. I don't think that's possible, but anyway. And we always have to say something that's better and bigger than the other person. And what we need to do is listen and listen carefully. That's what Jesus was doing. He's 12 years old, and they're astonished, and they're amazed because of his listening skills. He hadn't even started preaching it. That's important. And when his parents saw, they were astonished. And the word here, astonished, means stunned. Like They're like, what is going on here? It's kind of like, it's a, it's a stun that could go negative and positive, or maybe both at the same time. And his mother said to him, and you could probably even picture her raising her voice at him, son, why have you treated us so? Why did you do this to us? It's like when you find your kid and you want to smack him and hug him at the same time. And I don't know if, Jesus, if Mary did to Jesus or not, but I'm sure that's how she felt. But if you, there's no way of getting around this sentence here. She thinks Jesus did something wrong. She's like, oh, you, made my, you, you worried me sick. It wasn't that. It wasn't that neutral. It's like, why have you treated us this way implying that you've really treated us bad that that there was a lot of deliberate intent in what was happening here and this is the core of the question here it says behold like when someone says paul hey listen carefully to this this is important your father and i have been searching for you in great distress and again you can imagine three days 72 hours of a missing child how you would feel as a parent and mary and of course is this any old child God the Father's like, hey, Mary Joseph, I gave you one job, the Messiah, the one job, and you lost the Messiah, Savior of the world. Man, now what's plan B? I don't know. You lost the Messiah. I, that, but that, that, they're probably stressed out about that a little bit. But son, why have you treated us so? Why? 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 That's the question we ask all the time. You know, when I was looking for Caitlin, though, I'm like, Lord, why? <laughs> why would this happen? And so... We, that's an important question. So um, you've heard me talk about chiastic structures. For those of you who are new to revolution, uh, you see this in the Bible all the time, where in our Western mindset, when we tell a story, we start at the beginning, and we go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, O, P. Boom. And that's our story, and it ends. In the Hebrew mindset, they start with bread, but they work their way into the meat, and then they end with bread. They start and end with the same topic, and then each consecutive level in is parallel to the other and can help interpret the other. So this one is so detailed that I wanted to pass it out. So if you don't have a copy, anybody not have a copy of it? Okay, cool. Because I can't fit it on the screen, so share with someone. Jabari, 
Aria needs one over there. People can hand her one. And, and what's interesting is I have a few resources I go to um, where theologians and scholars post these chiasms as they find them. And I went to this passage of scripture and I didn't find one, but I obviously knew there was one because you could see what I'm about to show you. And so I actually, I developed this one and I submitted it to the website. So we'll see if it gets accepted. But anyway, it starts off in verse 40. Jesus, the toddler, is growing and developing, right? And then it ends with him as a 12-year-old, Jesus continued to develop. See the parallels there? The three ways he's growing, physically, spiritually, and, uh, and, and mentally. And then it works its way in. And Jesus and his parents go up to Jerusalem. And then the, towards the end of the story, Jesus and his parents go down to Nazareth. See the up with the apex and, and back down. And that's important there too because they go to a high holy place and then they go back to Nazareth. <laughs> Can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, so that's why you go up, not only um, elevation-wise, you go up in every other way, spiritually and class-wise and everything like that. You go down Naz to Nazareth. So Jer J Joseph and Mary don't know where Jesus is at. And then Joseph and Mary don't understand what he's talking about. See the parallel there? And then Jesus questions the teachers, but then on the way out, Jesus questions his parents. And then his parents were astonished on the, when, when they find him, and they're distressed on the way out of the story there. And then the very core, the meat of this, of this passage, is Mary's question. Son, why have you treated us so? Now, that's not the positive note I was looking for. Sometimes the center of a chiasm is really like, and God is good and gracious, you know, and that's the center thing. But here it's the question, why? And that's what I want to talk about this morning, why? Why, when bad things happen, do, do, does God allow that? You look at this right here, and that is the core, and this is what has been called in the last generation the theodicy. Theos, referring to God, and odyssey is something that's perplexing that people don't understand. And this is the part that people understand and there was a whole book written by a Jewish rabbi, which is redundant, about why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? No, I said that backwards. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, the question is flawed. First of all, not, of, not all of it can be blamed on why does God allow, but why do bad people do bad things to, bad, to each other? <laughs> okay. The other part of the question that's flawed is allow it to happen to good people, as if there are good people and they don't deserve it. The Bible says over and over again, there's none righteous, no, not one. One, one rabbi, one uh, lawyer came to Jesus and says, yeah, well, good teacher. And he goes, why do you call me good? There's nobody good but God. In other words, you're saying, are you saying I'm God? <laughs> and there's nobody good, okay? We, all are very, we are born selfish creatures. We cry at 2.30, 3.30, and 4.30. We wake our mom up. We don't care. We don't care that she's had a rough night. We take toys from other toddlers, hit them over the head with it, and it's mine. And we scream and cry when they take it from us. We're born that way. Yes, that, in fact, you look at it at a, at a nine-month-old, and it could be so angry at you that if it was able to, it would kill you. Okay? But it's not able to. And God made babies so cute that if you want to kill them, but they're so cute you don't. Okay? And that's, that's the way God, that's the way Vody Bakken puts it, by the way. I borrowed that from him. Um, so, son, why have you treated us so? And the, the core of that is, is the why. In typical fashion, Jesus answers questions with questions. Why were you looking for me? And we could spend 30 minutes on this alone, if not more. Why were you looking for me? Well, there's, there's some things that are pretty obvious, you know. Obviously, it's, well, we were afraid for your safety. You're only 12 years old. You shouldn't be out there living by yourself. Yes, that's, that's kind of obvious. And another part is, well, we love you, and, and we'd miss you if, you if we lost you for good, right? Those are kind of obvious things too. But God allows loss in our life to remind us what is really important. I'm sure for that 72 hours, Mary and Joseph were taking deep scrutiny on their lives. A vast inventory of what's really important. You know, they're complaining about, you know, the Passover meal really wasn't that good this year. And why did uncle so-and-so have to say that? And blah, blah, blah. All those things had blown away into oblivion. They're, they had laser focus on one thing. Where is our son? Where is our son? Where is Jesus? 
And I tell you, when you find yourself flat on your back in a hospital, you will focus on what's really important. When you have loved ones pass away, everything else, whether the Texans won or lost, or what, what everybody else did, whether it's going to rain today or tomorrow, none of those things matter at all. I remember a week after Laura Ward had passed away, I was talking to Patrick, just checking on him to see how he was doing. He said, Gary, I know this sounds childish. He said, but I feel like I want to tell everybody, why are you out there partying? Why are you guys out there doing everything? Don't you know that my wife died? And life goes on. Everybody's still going to work. Everybody's still eating donuts. Everybody's still doing what they're doing. I'm like, I felt like the whole world should shut down and say, hey, you know, you lost your wife. But life goes on. That, and this is the, the, the harsh reality that, that crisis brings. When you get that bad diagnosis from the doctor and it's stage four, when you get the pink slip and you're not sure if there is a next job, you know, when you, when you get served with papers and your spouse is left, those are things that just like rock your world. And you say, okay, what, what really matters right now? I mean, what I'm going to eat for lunch today doesn't even matter now if, if those things don't come into line and get fixed. So why have you treated us so? Jesus is preparing Mary for the day when she would really lose him for three days in a much more painful way. And I say Mary because as far as we know, Joseph wasn't alive when Jesus was crucified. And we know that Mary knew that the child that was born to her would be the savior of the world. And the pieces of the puzzle are starting to fit together as he's getting older. This means he's going to die. And there's times when she's like, hey, you know, thinking, Joseph, man, that young lady over there, Miriam, she'd make a really great wife. She goes to synagogue all the time. And then she's like, oh, yeah, that's right. You're not going to get married. At least not to a physical bride. And you're like, you know, what am I going to have grandchildren? Oh, that's right. You're not going to do that thing. You're going to have children that are spiritual children. You know, and just all those things that Mary wrestled with her whole life, Jesus' whole life. And I think he's preparing her. When, Je when Jesus chose to stay behind, it's like, Mom, this is a foreshadow of for three days when you won't see me. And it'll be much more painful than this because you're going to watch me taken away. You're going to have to see that with your own eyes. What is Jesus preparing you for? And then the second question, did you not know that I must be in my Father's house and some translations, and so, so that word house here implies like where your station of business, because most people worked out of home, but the word household, it means it's implying that like what some translations say about my father's business. Again, what age is he? He's 12. What do they usually choose at age 12? What their career is going to be? And he's like, hey, don't you know that I'm choosing right now my heavenly father's apprenticeship? And he reminds her that I'm not talking about Joseph. I love him. He's my great foster father. But I'm talking about my true heavenly father. And I'm doing an apprenticeship with him. The ministry is, is going to start. The training for ministry is beginning. And that's what he's also reminding them. And so Jesus, I believe, also is also reminding them that he ultimately doesn't belong to them. And that he is here on earth for a purpose. To seek and to save that which was lost. And so he's showing that, that whole idea of seeking and saving that which is lost by being lost himself and them seeking for him. Do you see the, the beautiful metaphor that's involved in this pastor right here? He's saying, this is what I'm doing. The way you were looking for me and your heart was broken until you could find me, this is what I've come to planet Earth to do. My heart is broken as I'm seeking my lost children to come home. And I'm going to lay down my life for them. I'm going to go through worse anxiety than you've gone through to find them and those who are lost. And it says, and they did not understand. <laughs> I just explained it to you, but they're like, all Jesus said was, why are you looking for me? Don't you know that I'm having an apprenticeship going on here? And they're like, what are you talking about? And this is the beginning of Jesus being misunderstood for his whole life. How many times did not just the crowd not understand Jesus, the disciples were like, what is he saying? Is he speaking in those shadowy figures again? Is this, when he says he's going to go away and then come and I'll, we'll see him for a few days and for a few days we won't see him. Jesus, can you start talking plainly? And there was one time just days before the crucifixion, they're like, now you're talking plainly. Thank you. 
You know, you keep talking in parables. And he spoke in parables to the crowd because he wanted to separate those who knew him and those who didn't. And all those who didn't know him were like, what? What is he talking about? A woman looking for a coin, and when she found it, she rejoiced. And what is that? Can we just have the free fish sandwiches again? That was really cool when you did that, you know? Can you raise my brother from the dead? And this parable stuff, I really don't understand it. And neither did the disciples. So we saw the searching for the missing Jesus and then finding the amazing Jesus. Let's go to the last point, observing the childhood of Jesus. This is short, but it, it, there's a lot here. And they went down with them again, up to Jerusalem, down to Nazareth. And watch this. And Jesus was submissive to them. Now, he reminded them, hey, I'm here on planet Earth to do a job. I'm God. You're not. And I'm only yours temporarily. But you know what? I'm still going to play the role. I'll do whatever you say. And he was the perfect child. Once again, went back to that role. Not that he was imperfect by doing what he did, but I think he was making a very clear line of demarcation of, and hey, this is a big reminder to, the, to him. And so he was, here's Jesus, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, kids, teenagers, submitting to his parents. Okay? So if anybody have a reason to say, you parents don't know what you're talking about. I know way more than you do. Jesus had the right to say that. Okay? But he didn't. He submitted them. And you know, sometimes teens, there are times you think your parents are wrong, but you have to do what's right and submit. Now, that, there is an exclusion. I'll show you what it is here in a second. Well, I'll just show it to you now. Ephesians 6. Children obey your parents where? In the Lord. So if your parents ask you to do something illegal, immoral, unethical, you don't have to do that. Okay? Now, the things that are gray, the things that are you just disagree with because you think you should be allowed to be out at till one in the morning and they think you should be home at eleven. You know, that's the stuff you need to submit on. I remember one time, um, I guess I was sixteen, seventeen, and my dad is not a believer, he's an agnostic, and I've already surrendered to preach. I'm living a very committed Christian life, following in, in the Lord's steps, and my dad is going to have a big poker night at the house with a lot of men over. And so he's got the beer, he's got the peanuts, he's got the food, so whatever. And he goes, oh, I don't have ice. He said, Gary, would you run down to the liquor store and buy some ice? I'm like, I don't want to be seen walking in a liquor store. I don't, I don't drink. I don't do that stuff. And I'm like, I, okay. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go get it. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't like this. I, I want to obey my dad, but I don't want to walk into a liquor store. So I... Uh, I get the keys, I walk outside, I get in my uh, green, silver, and rust-colored Ford Galaxy 500, 1968 model. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And I, I start the car, and my dad comes out and waves at me. He goes, Gary, 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 Gary. And I open the door, I say, yeah. He said, he said no, no, no. He said, I just, I don't know why. I realize you don't want to go to a liquor store. You go take out that stuff, or I'll go to a liquor store. I'm like, Okay. But I was willing to obey. I was willing to submit. And again, there's nothing illegal, immoral, unethical about walking into a liquor store. But for my age and for my testimony, I didn't want to do that. But I was willing to obey, and I believe God honored that. And it, it says here, you're supposed to honor your father and mother. And this is the commandment with a promise. This is the only one of the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise. That if you do this, God says, I'll do this. And the second part of the verse tells you, it quotes the promise from Exodus chapter 20. It says that, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Kids, if you want to have a great life, listen to mom and dad. It'll save you a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. Now, again, I'm not telling you to do something if your parents tell you to steal or to do something that's wrong. But nine times out of ten, your parents are right and you're growing up. And if Jesus could obey Mary and Joseph, we certainly can obey our mom and dad. And so Mary, once again, treasured up all these things in her heart. Remember, that phrase also happened before, back in, chapter, back in verse 19. Mary, after the shepherds and the angels, that whole story, Mary treasured up all that part of that story, pondering her things in her heart. That could also be part of the greater chiastic structure there. Mary had the great habit of seeing value in, that's what the word treasure implies, value in what God was doing and meditating on it to see his goodness. Many times we just react. Bad things happen. Oh, boom, boom, boom. I'm mad. I'm sad. I'm whatever, whatever. Just stop. Say, wait, 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 wait. What is God up to here? You know, Isaiah in the hospital last weekend, you know, I, Tammy wakes me up and says, hey, get up here quick. 
his heart rate is falling. He's losing lots of blood. They're talking about doing blood transfusions. And I'm just crying, drive back to the hospital. Thank Lord, why, you know? And, uh, but I can look back all this, and, and Isaiah can too, and say, you know what? That was a good weekend. It was. We, it isn't what we wanted necessarily. I mean, it slowed down his basketball start, but we were talking about, Isaiah and I, what if this happened right before district? You know, what if this happened? You, you didn't even get to go to nationals because of this, you know? It's great that it happened early in the season, not later, but also, what is God teaching us, you know? It says, maybe I should love my son more. Maybe my son needs to look at life more. And, you know, it's great to have all these lessons and come out the other side and say, okay, we're stronger because of that. God put more weight on the barbells and we're, we're stronger. And taking time to meditate. We don't do that today. We are so addicted to this. This is the biggest anti-meditation weapon in the world. <laughs> you are just, you are amusing, not meditating. You know what amusement means? Ah, meaning the negative, like an atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God, muse to think. Ah, muse. You are not thinking. You're just scrolling. You're just taking in meaningless, unnecessary information that, and you know what's interesting? If you scroll, 10 minutes later, do you remember anything you scrolled? Nope. Anything important? Probably not. But meditation is, is so important. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the godly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Thinking about what God is doing in our lives, thinking about his word and how it connects with all of it. So when difficult comes, times come, stop. Stop asking why and start asking how. How. How can I glorify God through this situation? How can I reveal? There's people watching me, and they're watching the way I react. Is this Christianity real? Wow, she sure is strong. She just got told her husband has six months to live and looked at her. What is she doing? She's praying. Now, look at him. He, he's got all this temptation around him, and he's saying no. Man, what is going on here? How are we glorifying God? In that situation. I remember at uh, my first ministry job, I was 22 years old, and there was an elderly gentleman there named Leonard Sturmer. Man, Leonard Sturmer loved Jesus so much. And he'd come up to the church every Tuesday, and he'd walk up the stairs. It took him forever to walk up the stairs. And he'd go upstairs to the, the usher's office, and he would sharpen pencils, and he'd stick them in the little hole that held where the, where the guest cards were. And he would sharpen, it was a big church, you know, about 1,300 people. And he would restock the, all the cards in the pews for the guest cards with a little pencil. And he would bring little, little red Bibles, called the, the world's smallest Bible. And it just basically had a few plan of salvation verses. And he'd pass them out to the kids along with gum. And he, just, he, he, he was very frail, but he would do whatever he could do. Even if he wasn't feeling well, he'd be there on Tuesday, walking up the stairs, sharpening the pencils, taking care of the usher's office. And, uh, and then Leonard Sturmer uh, got cancer, was in the hospital. And uh, I remember going to visit him, and he was kind of in and out of consciousness. And when he wake up, he'd go, where's my nurse? Have you seen my nurse? I need to tell my nurse about Jesus. And he did that for two weeks in the hospital. And when he passed away, the whole floor was crying. The nurses knew that he loved them, and they loved him. And, and here you say, well, why would God let such a godly man die of cancer? And wouldn't it have brought more glory to God if he had been healed? They saw how he suffered and how he died, and that's he glorified God in the suffering, just like Jesus did on the cross. Glorified God in the suffering. What are you going through right now? Do people see Christ in you? It's easy for say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm blessed. Look at my big house and look at my good-looking wife and look at all these great things, and everything is great. God is blessing me. Well, pff, you're like Job. Of course he's going, you're going to bless God. What happens when it all gets taken away? Then... How does your Christianity act? You see, you don't know the quality of the tea until it's in hot water, right? And so, I know you've heard that before. <laughs> and so, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. This sounds just like verse 19. When he was a toddler, he's doing this development. And when he's 12, he's doing the same development. And it brings up the question, and I think someone asked this in Q&A a few weeks ago. When did Jesus realize he was a Messiah? I, I don't know. I, know. I know that he did not become the Messiah. The angel clearly said, 
born into you this day in the city of David is a Savior, Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. Okay? So he didn't, he, he wasn't like man who became God, like the Mormons teach. He was born God in the flesh, but he still had to develop mentally, physically, spiritually, socially, in every way. And, and these are the three ways that we need to, to, um, to develop. So let's ask the question again, what festival is being celebrated right now? The Passover, the Passover lamb, okay? And this is, this, this is happening at this time where Jesus is lost for how many days? Yeah, so 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Mary and Joseph just saw a lamb be sacrificed for the sins of the people. They can't find their son. They think he's gone, but they're like, realize, no, wait a minute, that's why he came, to seek and to save that which is lost. He is the, he is the Passover lamb. That's why this lost child event, this missing child report happened during the Passover, to point to what was happening here. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the Lamb died in our place. And because the Lamb of God died in our place, He can offer a free gift of salvation, the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ the Lord. Do you know Christ? Have you been saved? Have you accepted that free gift of salvation? It's a gift. A gift means there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to keep it. You simply what? Receive it. You can reject it. And unfortunately, most do. But that's not a surprise, is it? Jesus said that broad is the way, the highway that leads to hell, and narrow is the path that leads to eternity, and few there be that travel on that road. Many people, for some reason, because of pride, reject the gift. Romans 10, 9 says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's what Mary and Joseph were being reminded of. <laughs> He's the Lord, not us. He can stay in his father's house if he wants to. And sometimes we don't like that difficulty, but we have to surrender and say, Lord, I give everything away. We just sang that, right? I give myself away. Oh, that's so important. And, said, and you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. If you will make him the Lord of your life, and receive that forgiveness of sins, you will be saved. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you said, I give up? I've tried it my way. It doesn't work. <laughs> I, I give all to you, Lord. I surrender. I'm going to seek you, and I'm going to find you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful story. Uh, Lord, Mary and Joseph probably didn't enjoy going through what it took to give us this story, but they look back on it like we do and realize that Jesus is the one who's Lord and that his mission is imperative and his motivation is pure. So Father, I pray right now if there's one who doesn't know you, Father, if there's one that's watching online and they're just lost, they're confused, I pray they'd find Jesus like Mary and Joseph did. I pray that they find not only him, but they know him personally and they'd realize his purpose in coming. Father, thank you for your word. It's so beautiful. We just stand amazed at Jesus and we praise you in his name. Amen. If you need more answers about Christ, maybe you're still not there yet. You can text me if you've made a decision. I'd love to know about it. Um, if you know someone you'd like to be sitting here next to you to hear this message, man, take one of those Revolution Church cards, invite them. And even if they never come on the back, there's a QR code where they can hear the gospel and, and understand how to be saved. Alon, would you like to help me with Q&A, please? All right, so you could text in a question to that number right there, or if you'd rather just raise your hand, because sometimes reception is not so great in this building. Alon, thank you so much for helping here. There's, I got the first question up and ready for you. Or fish fry? <laughs> Good question. Um, and uh, it was most likely uh, pickled. The way they could preserve fish in those days was they would pickle it, and that way it could last for days unrefrigerated. So, yeah, it's a very common practice in the Middle East even today. So um, sushi would have been nice, though, but it would not have been too healthy, I don't think, out in the desert climate. All right. How do you surrender to God? Um, wow. So we think about it. I mean, think about, I would think of a war situation. That's why I have the white flag. 
is you basically lay down your weapons. Okay, think about that. What you even fight with, you don't. You, when you raise, when, if you're in war and you raise your hands and you surrender, you have no idea what's going to happen to you. They might kill you. They might put you in a concentration camp. They might beat you. They may torture you. Or they might set you free. Who knows? The thing is, you've got to realize who you're surrendering to is the good guys. Okay? Think about that. And when Japan and Germany surrendered to the United States in World War II and the Allies, we did what no country in the history of the world ever did. We rebuilt our enemies. The Marshall Plan spent hundreds of millions of dollars, if you put it in today's economy, it'd be billions of dollars, to rebuild Germany. We rebuilt the buildings we destroyed. We pumped money, our own money. They attacked us. And we said, okay, we're going to pay taxes so that you guys can have your houses rebuilt. Your, we're going to build Volkswagen for you. <laughs> okay, literally, that's, that's how all those things happened. We built them plants. We built all that stuff for them. We built, think about where the best cars in the world come from. Japan and Germany. We built those factories for them, and now who are our best friends in the world? Japan and Germany. No other country had ever done that, but, th but at that time, the United States was a Christian nation, and we believed, love your enemies. Every other empire in the world, every other power in the world, destroyed the enemy and say, tough, deal with it. That's what you get for attacking us. And we, did, we followed the principles of Jesus. We actually prayed for enemies. We had our presidents praying publicly. We had Congress praying. And now it's like, oh, you can't do that. Separation of church and state. Even though the picture of Moses and the Ten Commandments is still in the Congress to this day. That's not what our founding fathers were saying. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked here. Um, so what was the original question? <laughs> How do you surrender to How God? How do you surrender? So when you surrender, when Japan and Germany surrendered to us, did we torture them? I'm not saying some rogue soldiers didn't do some stupid things. But in general... We set them free and we built them up and made them successful. So when you surrender to God, you're surrendering to the good guys. You're saying, God's saying, hey, okay, I'm glad you finally give up. Now let me build your life up. Let me, so you have to say what Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is thinking, man, if there's any way that this cup could pass, if we can save the world without me going to the cross, let's do it. And God's, and, and Jesus is like, but you know what? That's just my flesh talking. I want to do what's right. Not my will, but yours be done. That's what we need to say every day, all day. That's, that's what it means to surrender. Good question. What else? That's the last one. Is that the last one? Anybody else have a question? Okay. So I guess they didn't find the elements for the Lord's Supper. This is really ironic that the, the day that they lost Jesus, we can't find the body of Christ, the, the bread and the... Three days will come back. Three days will come back. It may be... Um, wow, it may be in the print. All right, so we could postpone. Maybe we just do that. Uh, I bet it's in the fridge over there. I had him looking the ushers off, but I bet it's in the fridge because of the grape juice. Okay. Um, let's do that. Let's postpone. Okay, let's stand. We'll pray. We'll do communion next Sunday. I apologize. I don't know how that got past me. I even delegated it, but I didn't follow through. My fault. All right. Eugene, would you pray for us, please?